This episode is brought to you by 5.11 Tactical, and I've got some great news for you. 5.11 usually very generously offers the listeners of this podcast 15% off any of their purchases using the code SHIELD15. Well, going into Black Friday from November 26th to December 1st, they're offering you guys 25% off and a free patch if you use the code SHIELD25. So that's S-H-I-E-L-D-25 at 511tactical.com. You will get 25% off and a patch. Now, while you are looking through there, I urge you to look at some of the products that we've talked about in the last few episodes. From the lightweight Norris sneaker, a great alternative to the tactical boot, to the AMP backpack, um, the uniform selection that I've talked about. I'm going to throw one new piece of equipment in there as well. The Response XR2 flashlight, um, extremely light, or torch as I would say in England, um, very, very light and compact. The brightest bloody light I've ever seen in my life. Not only was is it great for illuminating things, it actually would have a great self-defense element to it as well because it's literally blinding. So not rated specifically to go into structure fires, but every other element of our job is a great light to have on your person. So as I mentioned before, use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, 25 at 511tactical.com from November 26th to December 1st, and the rest of the year, Shield 15 will still get you your 15% off. Welcome, guys, to episode 256 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I am extremely excited to bring to you Eric and Amanda Stevens. Now, Eric was a college football player. He entered the NFL and ultimately transitioned into the fire service. And when he and Amanda were about to get married, Eric discovered that he had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. So I sat down with both of them to hear their journey, you know, how they met, Amanda's journey through collegiate soccer, and ultimately the diagnosis, and then the painstaking realization that there are treatments out there that are working that ALS sufferers cannot access at the moment. So you're going to hear this. It's going to really move you, but I urge you to take the moment to go to their website. Uh, there is a GoFundMe. Of course, there is a financial contribution element to this. The ALS patient has a need for certain medical equipment that may or may not be covered by the insurance. But the other side of it is helping push the treatment to be released by the FDA and made available to these men and women that are suffering from ALS that will truly save their lives. So please listen to this episode and then go to their website. The links will be on the webpage for this podcast. So jamesgearing.com and then go to the podcast episode 256 and you will see all the links that you need to go to. So as I always say, before we get to the episode, take a moment, go to your podcast app, subscribe to the show, rate the show. Five-star rating makes us even more visible to people that need to hear this. And this particular episode, everyone needs to hear this. We need to be made aware that this disease is currently suffered by 30,000 Americans. And that's just our country. That's not including all the other countries around the world. And then the other side is take your social media, word of mouth, email chain, whatever you need to share these episodes and get these stories to everyone that needs to hear it. So with that being said, I introduce to you Eric and Amanda Stevens. Enjoy.
Eric and Amanda, thank you firstly for welcoming me to your home. Um, for people listening, where are we sitting right now? Yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for coming. Um, we're sitting in my wife and I's home in Costa Mesa, California. Brilliant. Beautiful city. Um, all right, so I love to start at the very beginning. We'll, we'll kind of go person by person. So, Eric, you first. Where were you born and then what was your family unit like? <clears throat> I was born in San Pedro, California. So that's like the Los Angeles Harbor area. Um, we were, uh, my dad was a police officer. My mom was a phlebotomist. So we we're um, blue colored, <clears throat> middle class. And um, I was the youngest of four brothers. Brilliant. All right, Amanda, same for you. Um, I was born actually down here in Pomona, California, but moved up north to Danville. Um, I'm the middle child, so I have an older brother and a younger sister. Um, yeah, and then I just moved back down here to be with Eric, and my family followed. So now we're back in Southern California. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so staying with you then, um, when you were young, were you an athlete? Did you love sports? Yes, I started playing soccer when I was probably four or five years old and um, played through, you know, middle school, high school and college. And yeah, that's where I met him. So soccer kind of led me to him. Okay, yeah, I yeah. figured that was probably the case. <laughs> so Eric, obviously, I know that you were a football player. What yeah. was your kind of journey through that sport? Well, growing up, um, I started playing soccer, um, basketball, baseball, and um, <clears throat> some of my really good friends, uh, they were playing Pop Warner football, and um, my dad didn't let any of my brothers play football, um, so, <clears throat> so I kind of had to beg him and... Uh, I just hope that that he would let me play, um, and he did. Um, he he finally let me play um, when I was eight years old and pee weave tackle football, and um, we were really good. We had a really good team, and we stayed together all the way up to to high school. Um, and after my dad let uh, me play, uh, he let my other brothers play. Um, they're a little bit older, already in middle school and in high school. But um, one of my older older brothers, uh, Craig, went and played um, at Cal, and he 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 went on to play in the NFL too for ten years. So I got to see and watch him and um, see what football did for him, where it got him, and that was um, pretty really my motivation to to keep playing and um so i kind of followed his footsteps and uh uh played different positions but i went to cal too uh played fullback there and that's where i met my wife amanda um and uh after cal i had a short stint with uh st louis rams um was on the practice squad for a while, got cut, signed, kind of bounced around a little bit. Uh, and I just, I realized this is, uh, 
you know, this is not what I thought it was going to be like. And I didn't know if I was going to have a job the next morning or what was going to happen, you know. So, um, I mean, a man and I were doing long distance too. So, uh, I wanted to come back home and, and, uh, find something a little more steady. And my other two older brothers, um, or firefighters for LA city. Um, and my uncle's a, was a LA city fire fighter as well. So I've always wanted to be a firefighter and it was just a matter of time. And I felt the timing was right. So, um, <clears throat> the last time I got cut, I, I, um, called my dad, called Amanda and I just said, Hey, you know, I'm ready to come home ready to start um a new career and um that's you know that's kind of how football ended and and how i started um going towards the fire department brilliant now just to go back to something you said so you started at eight and you were with that same team for 10 years yeah yeah so we we stick together stick together till high school and then um we we had two different high schools in our local area, and so some of us went to one high school, other uh, some of us went to the other one. Yeah, so we split up, and it was unfortunate. But um, neither high school was very good. <laughs> <laughs> but if we were together, I mean, I think it would have been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Brett. Now, what do you think physically and mentally? Um, separated you from other people that allowed you to play at that high level? Yeah. I think um, I've always been super competitive. Um, And being the youngest of four brothers um, also, I think, helped too. I'm sure. I feel like I was always um, always trying to prove myself and and always trying to keep up with my older brother. So I was always kind of had that... uh, uh, kind of that 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 gave me the advantage, you know, because um, I'd be, <clears throat> you know, pl- wrestling or you know playing in the backyard with with my brother and their friends who were you know, two two years older than I was. So when I would go play with people, <clears throat> you know, kids my own age, I was um, kind of on another level, <laughs> you know. So it definitely really helped me, and and I got to kind of see and learn from them and um, what mistakes they made. And I I've always been kind of a, a visual learner, so I've always watched my brothers and uh, just learned from them, constantly learning. So brilliant. Now, um, with uh, with your career, I, I've read somewhere that you injured your knees at some point what what was the injury and how were you able to rehab that i did um so this is my sophomore or summer you're going into my junior year of cal um i was the uh top ranked fullback that year um and, and your junior is a real big year as far as um you know um as far as um, getting tape tape for the next level NFL and, and film, um, it's a really big year. It kind of sets up your senior year. Uh, but the first day of practice, uh, actually the first day of pads 
in fall camp going into that season. Um, my foot got caught caught in the turf funny, um, and I was going out for a pass, and it just tweaked funny, and I fell back and um, popped it, and I tore my ACL. Oof. Yeah, so. and um, my ACL and meniscus. Okay. Um, and the rehab is it's a long rehab, uh, six months minimum. Um, the trainers and the staff were awesome though, and and we just stayed on top of it. And I just had next year on my mind. And you just have to keep the, um, you know, you have to keep that in mind as far as working towards that goal, knowing that you have another year, knowing that the team still needs you. And uh, that's what, kind of what I did. And that's what motivated me to get back yeah. um, to my teammates and, and, and my coaches. So. Right. Cause you were the captain at Cal. Is that right? I was Third? my senior year. Senior year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. All right. Well, Amanda, let's go to you. So you said you played soccer lead me in through your college career and then how how you guys met okay um yeah i got recruited from cal my junior year of high school um so i committed kind of early and went in my freshman year and actually blew my knee out too um so i had to redshirt my freshman year at cal um but like eric just said you know the trainers there the coaches they're all so supportive and they work hard to get you back and you just try to keep that positive mindset and attitude. Um, so my, I played sophomore, junior, senior year at Cal and I was captain my senior year as well. Um, a couple of overachievers, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, we, uh, we got to the NCAA tournament every year. I was there, um, I don't know. I feel like there's this like curse against us where we can't get past the, sec the second round. But um, still, my senior year was probably one of their best seasons in a, a long time. We had like 16 wins or something, which is something the program, um, something that the program, they don't get that many wins that much. So, um, but yeah, Eric and I met my sophomore year um, at Cal. I was, we kind of knew of each other because he was a year older and hung out with a lot of the soccer girls his year. Um, and so we knew of each other just through mutual friends. And uh, I think we might have ran into each other one time before we actually like officially met. But I was walking up the street and he was walking down. It was uh, after the big game. So Calver Stanford, I think. Cal lost, but yeah, yeah, we lost. <laughs> we lost pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I stopped him because I kind of knew him and just gave him a hug. And he invited me to a party later that night, and so I went. And then, yeah, we've been dating ever since, or now we're married, but <laughs> we've been together ever since. Brilliant. And so we're gonna get to the fire department again in a second. But as far as career, what about your path? I so after Cal I went to St. Mary's actually and played my fifth year of soccer there while I got my teaching credential and my master's. So I'm a second grade teacher right now in Costa Mesa where we live. Um 
and I've been at this school for four years now, but I love it. Yeah, I've taught second grade and fifth grade, but I think second grade's where where I'm, I belong. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the little ones. Now, is there anything? I actually had a teacher on a couple oh. weeks ago, and you know, I, I, anything that we I think we can do better, if we can learn from other countries, for example. You know, I try and discuss it on here too. On your perspective, what are the things you think that we do well and some things that we could improve on in education? Yeah, I think um, what my school and just, you know, through my teaching program, what we really focus on is um, just differentiating the instruction to really target each student. I think, you know, you can't just teach um, to the whole class. It really has to be differentiated for the group of students that you have. Um, and I think, like, I use a lot of hands-on um, activities or lessons to really keep them engaged. I think that's a really hard thing as kids are at school all day long and you need to keep them focused and engaged and having fun or else they're not going to want to be there. So um, I know my partner teacher and I in, in second grade, you know, it's a lot of addition and subtraction and um, just working on like sentence structure and things. So we try to make it really interactive for for kids. And I think that helps them learn is just being engaged and having that hands-on experience. So that's something we try to do and I think it, it's helping. But um, yeah, we just started a new kind of curriculum a few years ago. It's called the Common Core where it's not really memorizing, but more um, really explaining your thinking. So it's not just like five times three is 15, but kind of why that is the answer, not so it's not really so much about the answer. It's how you get the answer. The which, yeah. yeah. So Unless that's you get difficult. It wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hard though for kids to grasp. So it's that's been a challenge. It's hard for parents to grasp. Yeah. I, I've seen I've some heard. pretty funny common core memes. <laughs> yes. Like you know, I'm just helping my kid with his homework. Apparently one chair and a badger equals <laughs> Venezuela. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Sometimes we'll have to look at the teacher guide like, oh, goodness, I don't even know the answer to this. It's sad. Uh, yeah, I, I was embarrassed how young my son was where I'm like, you're going to have to ask someone else. I, I yeah. honestly, I'm going to make it more confusing for you. I know. All right. Well, speaking of education, we'll go back to Eric. Um, coming from, you know, high level a athletics, what was um, the academy like for you? Um, the fire academy? The fire academy, yeah. Yeah, it, it was... Um it was tough, I think. Um, as far as physically goes, um, I felt pretty good because of my history of football and athletics. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to be accepted, <coughs> accepted in the academy. Um, you know, pretty, pretty close to, or, you know, pretty, pretty short after. Uh, playing football so I was in pretty good shape as far as physically but you know mentally um, mentally I think is the hardest part you know of the uh, drill tower our academy um, you know the pressure that the instructors put on you and, and the staff and, and you're also learning a, a completely new language you know um, so that part was was extreme was difficult um but you have your classmates that you lean on and everyone works together as a team and 
and um and ultimately you know that's what gets you through it but it's a long long strenuous drill tower mm. for sure and how long is la's how many weeks um it's it's uh six five months five months yeah it's five months um is that are you are you certified when you enter that or are you non-certified you're not you're not certified yeah so until you finish and then you have a year of probation um uh, in the field you do, you do uh three different houses so but yeah they i mean amanda could tell you too i mean it's that's stressful it's that's a long five months of just grinding out, um, you know, learn a whole new language, um, sleep. You're up, you're up early in the morning and home late at night. Mm, especially LA traffic. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's every day and studying, memorizing. And I think I could probably like, yeah, do a lot of the. I could probably do a lot of the drills or whatever because we <laughs> practice so many times. Yeah. Well, I'm not like the best public speaker, so I have to memorize everything, you know. So I would just give all my drills and to Amanda and my note cards and I'd read them to her and she'd read them off. So she spent ca- countless hours uh, helping me and, yeah, definitely – couldn't have gotten through without her for sure yeah i can relate i i could put the ladder up but i couldn't remember the words i was supposed to say while i was putting the ladder up. exactly yeah i'll I'll put the ladder up a million times but yeah it's just uh when it came to memorizing the monologue monologue, (laughs) exactly so it was interesting as well i had a conversation just the other day and we're talking about um, individual sports and team sports and I, I forget who I was talking to but he'd been a wrestler and then he played football and I found that with a fire service um, you know I did martial arts and fought and it would be part of a team sometimes but it's just you and that other person on the mat at that time um, and that's kind of what it's like is we're part of that group but each of you have those individual responsibilities so you know I think it's it's uh you can glean a lot from being an individual athlete and a member of a team. Either of those tracks, if you have both, even better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that definitely helped um, the transition from being a football player to being a firefighter as far as the team aspect. And everyone has their role. Um, and everyone's role is equally important, you know. Um, so... That 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 transition to was you know a lot was easy as far as uh, you know the team aspect and knowing your role and being like being someone that you know you can count on and you know accountability and trustworthiness you know now what about I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt but what about so you were a captain Caltech mm-hmm. you know you were NFL now you're a probie. What was yeah. that like for you? I mean, ego is the wrong word, but, you know, yeah, for, yeah. for realizing that you're now yeah. bottom of the pile. Yeah. Well, it was, um, I mean, there's times, you know, you just, you want to do something or you want to say something, but you know, you know your role, you know, and everyone goes through it and it's a rite of passage, um, passage, you know, you, 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 you earn it through, working hard 
keeping your mouth shut and just going to work. And um, that's what I did when I played football. And that's what I did as a firefighter too. Um, you know, when you go to, when you play football, your, your first year, unless you're like a rare exception, you're on the you're on the scout team. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, you you have to work. You have to earn everyone's respect, and you work your way up. And that's the same thing as the fire service. Uh, start from the bottom, and you earn you earn you earn people's respect through hard work and and um, and giving everything you have. And you just you know uh, big ears, big eyes, and a small mouth. You know, and that that gets you through. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. Right, and what which uh apparatus were you assigned to in the end um so we were as a, on probation you do a engine house and then um for three months i believe then you do your truck house and then your third house is um is kind of like your 800 what we call or your ambulance Oh, okay. Um, rescue. Yeah, like yeah. the BLS rescue. Um, yeah. And, um, but we rotate, our department rotates. We rotate engine, engine truck. Um, and then I was in a hazmat station too. So we also rode the hazmat squad. And we didn't have a BLS rescue either. So we were all fire, all fire side. We had ALS rescue, but those were the paramedics. Okay, so was it separated in LFD? Are, are, the, are the ALS rescue medics fire medics or are they just medics? Um, so some stations have a single function medics or you have a rotation. Uh, our medics were a single, single function, yeah. It just depends on what station you're at. But. All right, so I guess we'll, we'll swing it back to you, Amanda, from through your eyes during obviously um leading up to the wedding like when did you realize that everything wasn't exactly the way it was supposed to be and then kind of talk us through you know the wedding and then that point yeah so um i want to say a few months before the wedding maybe around march or april um he would say little things about his left hand just feeling kind of weak um but we didn't think anything of it or you know, maybe he like tweaked it when he was working out because we were working out pretty hard for the wedding. Um, As we all do. Yeah, we were like, trying <laughs> to get skinny. Bring your to the photographer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we didn't think much of it. Um, or like if there was something in the kitchen, I couldn't open a bottle. I would go give it to him and he, I would see like he'd maybe try it with his left hand and then have trouble. So then switch it to his right. Are you left handed? Um, uh, no, no, I'm right. Right. Yeah. Um, but didn't think anything of it. And then I also remember one day, again, after we were working out, we were sitting in the car and he's like, whoa, look at my arms. And they were twitching really bad. Um, but we just thought maybe he worked out too hard or he was dehydrated or, yeah, again, we didn't think much of it. So, um, and I'm pretty sure it ended up going away or, or maybe not just being that, um, like intense. Um, and so 
he didn't really tell me much more than that. Just little things of him saying it out loud or me seeing the twitching one time. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, and then we had our wedding on July 27th in San Luis Obispo, which is kind of like a midpoint because a lot of our friends are up in Northern California and then a lot of our family lives down here. Um, so yeah, it was perfect day. It was awesome. It was really special. Um, and then we went on our honeymoon to Montana. Uh, Eric's always been like an outdoorsy person who been wanting to go to Montana his whole life. So we had a really great honeymoon. We went to Yellowstone and Glacier. We did, um, horseback riding, fly fishing, whitewater rafting. It was great. And again, I didn't, he didn't tell me anything and I didn't notice anything. Um, and his brothers and his dad, you know, would talk about his speech sometimes, but I talked to him every day and he's always been somewhat of a mumbler. So again, I, I just didn't really notice because I'm talking to him all the time and, and, um, it just wasn't something that I really realized. So it wasn't until we got back from the honeymoon when he showed me the twitching in his arms and, um, what did that start maybe during the honeymoon or? The twitching? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was before, it was before the honeymoon. Yeah. It definitely got, it definitely yeah. progressively got worse. Yeah. So just, just interject then. So from your internal experience, when mm -hmm. were you noticing it? Yeah. I was maybe probably low before March. Uh, <clears throat> I was at work and, and, um, I just, I noticed we, you know, we, We'd go to fire, and I'd just be more fatigued than usual, um, and or you know, run up to to seeing her call, and I'm already out of breath, and I'm trying to catch my breath. I'm like, man, <clears throat> this is this is weird, you know. I, f I must really be getting out of shape, and I'm 29 years old, and all the older guys are like, yeah, hey kid, you know. Wait till you're in your 40 or in your, you know, your 30s. You're, you're really going to feel it. So, like that. you know, this is what all the guys are talking about, you know. Um, and uh, I started dropping tools, mainly in my left hand. You know, picking up a saw uh, was becoming difficult. Uh, dropping, you know, wrenches and uh, while I was working out, um, I noticed um, I was dropping dumbbells, um, slipping on my hand, and I'd go up to do pull-ups, and just just my left hand would slip out. Um, and like Amanda said, I've always been uh, sort of a mumbler, but guys at work, uh, my dad, my my brothers, noticed my speech uh, becoming slurred or slow and i noticed that too um but i really didn't think anything of it and it did slowly get worse um and our wedding was coming up too so we were, our main focus was the wedding and i didn't want to bother anyone or create unnecessary stress if if it was no big deal um I just figured it was an old football injury or something. Um, 
But every now and then I'd go on Google, I'd search, you know, some of these symptoms I was feeling or having, and ALS kept popping up. Um, and I didn't really believe it, you know, at first, but as kind of time went on, weeks or days, um, I, I would just continue to search and do more research, and, and I just started hitting every single box. Um, and that was probably right before, <coughs> before our wedding. And then, so we had our wedding, went, went to our honeymoon, like Amanda said. And, um, as soon as we got back, I think the day we got back, I said, you know, hey, Amanda, um, you know, this is, this is what I think might be going on. I, I'm checking every single box and, I know it's extremely uncommon, especially for someone my age, um, but it's just um, the symptoms are just too too close and too exact to what every, everything I'm reading. So we need to see a neurologist right away. So we skipped the um, family doctor and just went straight to a specialist. It's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Because it, yeah, as you know, it's just a long process, you know, it's like you got to wait three weeks to get an appointment and then three more weeks to get an MRI and then another two months to get another MRI. So I'm like, you know what, let's skip all that and let's just go straight to it. I think I know what's going on. I'm obviously I'm hoping it's not, but in the back of my my mind, I have this feeling um, and uh, so we got an appointment as soon as we can with a neurologist and he, he, uh, we got an MRI and they do what's called an EMG, which, um, shows your, your nerves and, um, nerve activity within your limbs and your, your neck, your back. And the MRI looked good and the EMG, when we went back in to discuss the MRI is when I got the EMG done and as we're waiting for the EMG results uh, it's probably like 30 minutes or so doctor doesn't say a word to us we're just sitting in the room with them and he's typing on his computer doesn't even look at us you know for for probably about a half hour and I'm just like, hey, hey, doc, you know, everything looking okay or what's going on? And just no response, very short. And uh, he turns around and it's probably about 40 minutes now. And he goes, well, I think you have ALS. He goes, I'm sure you guys heard of it. Um, it's Lou Gehrig's disease. You have a two to five year life expectancy. And... Um, that was it pretty much he's he like good luck and uh, you know we'll see you later and he left the room so we were in the room with him for probably about an hour he said maybe five words and that was yeah bls you know and good luck you know that reminds me i had um um a widow of a firefighter died of cancer it was it was the same thing with them doctor goes yeah you got it it's terminal you're probably gonna die you know this amount of time and pretty much was like all right there's the door kind of thing 
And that's, you know, we talk about bedside manner and you hear this. And again, there's some great doctors out there, but that's unacceptable to have that kind of diagnosis and not, not, you know, not only should you be engaging you guys, but also immediately bringing in resources to be like, okay, this is the diagnosis, but here's step one. Here's what we're going to send you next. Exactly. There was no further plan after that. It was, he left the room and he, and, uh, that was it. I mean, when he told me that, I almost passed out. Yeah, uh, I had to, like, run over, and he didn't even, like, prepare us or anything. I mean, I had to literally run over and hold him up. Like, he just turned white, and, and yeah, it, it was horrible. And then the doctor looked at me and was like, I'm sure you know what it is. Like, yeah, it, it's, like, so hard to go back to that day because yeah. we try to, like, block it out, but... It was the most horrible experience. Um, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, so after that, it was a, you know, obviously that's a huge blow. Um, although I had a feeling that's what it was, you're never fully pre- prepared to hear that, you know. No, that your life might be shortened considerably is not exactly news. That, right, you know. and it's, it's two to five years of of a very difficult life you know paralysis comes a lot sooner um i'm sure you can just hear my voice as i talk i'm slowly just kind of losing my voice and and um having a lot hard hard times speaking but uh with a diagnosis like this you have to get second opinion maybe three maybe four so um, the, the unique thing about ALS is that there's no real definitive, um, test that, that says, okay, this is ALS. They kind of have to rule everything out. So I called my team doctor who is now the team doctor, um, for the Los Angeles Rams. And, and I said, Hey doc, you know, this is what's going on. They just told me I have ALS, um, basically diagnosed me you know within two weeks um and he goes that's crazy like you don't diagnose someone with ALS in two weeks like there are so many other tests that you guys have to do um I'm gonna set you up with a neurologist at Cedar Sinai in Los Angeles so I ended up getting an appointment with them and much more thorough and 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 understanding and just sympathetic you know professional professional, right just just to be able to sit down with me and my my wife my brothers my dad and explain to us you know this is what ALS is Uh, I can see why that neurologist came to the conclusion but let's rule out all these other things first you know Um, so we did that we did a lot more blood tests we did another MRI um, ultimately, you know, it, everything came back clean and and everything looked good. So basically, that you know means you have ALS. Um, so we come to find out that so with ALS, there's two FDA approved treatments or medicines, and they may or may not um, extend your life by 30 days. So a lot of people, a lot of patients um, don't even 
take the medication. How, how do they even gauge that they're improving in 30 days? When there's a variety in how long people are living, certainly I'm sure by, you know, a few months, how can you even, you know, proclaim that you're adding 30 days? That you seems can't, crazy. And, and that's so difficult about ALS and it's becoming a problem right now because, and we'll get into it, I think, in a little bit, but... Um, there's no biomarker. There's no, everyone's different. It's, it's, uh, everyone progressed at a different rate and it, there's no, um, there's no way to really tell or judge, you know, they have a, 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 uh, a sheet called the AL, ALS FRS yeah. and that's how they judge. And it's a real basic, um, physical, they just grab your hands, test your grip strength, ask you a f- few questions, and that's how they gauge the test. And every time we've done it, it's been a different doctor or an intern. So who's to tell you that, you know, that doctor feels a different grip strength or, you know, is stronger on pulling your arms down? It's it's very subjective. And um, that's been really frustrating because... What we learned also was that there, for the first time ever in 150 years, there's treatment uh, that is slowing the progression down, legitimately slowing the progression down. And some people are even having reversals, meaning they're getting better, improving. And that's that is huge in the ALS world, um, really in, in the whole medical world. Yeah. but the only way you can get to it is if you're picked for the trial and it's a it's a brainstorm treatment or sorry it's a stem cell treatment by a company called brainstorm and it's it's a the treatment's called neuron and they're on the phase three trial right now and so it's been the fda process for almost 10 years um and, and uh, it's a they do a fifty percent double line placebo, so hundred people are getting the treatment, hundred people are 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 getting sugar water put in their back, but they don't know, and you don't know until the whole the whole trial is done. Um, it's not just like a pill that you take; it's a it's a year long process, and it's very like. Um, it, like intensive on your body where it's you know they're it's a bone marrow aspiration so they extract your bone marrow and then they spin your stem cells with their neuron medicine and then they put them back in and you have to stay in the hospital overnight and, and do all these procedures so it's not like you're just taking a pill it's it's you know very it's impacting your body a lot and it's a year long, and ALS patients, we know they don't have a year to waste if you're getting sugar water in your back. And no. Well, it's like you said, especially if you're getting, because I, I think the bone marrow, isn't they pulling from the hip? Is that yeah. right? So it's supposed to be extremely painful. Go through all that, and oh, by the way, you had the sugar water. Exactly. Thanks, thanks for all the pain yeah. and trouble. Exactly. Thank, thanks for uh, helping science out. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Your donation is appreciated. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely insane. I c- I couldn't believe it. So here here the doctor tells you 
hey, well, guess what? There's treatment and it's working. First time ever. But you have to meet the right criteria, which is a, a six-month lead-in phase just to see if you're progressing fast enough or slow enough to be meet the perfect criteria. And then if you do accept it, it's a 50% chance that you that you get the treatment. Um, so to hear that there's treatment that is working and helping people for the first time ever, but you can't access it, is is uh, for a terminal disease. For a terminal diagnosis, it's just crazy to me, and I can I we can believe it. So, um, really, you know, uh, especially in a phase three part of the trial, which means that it's already deemed safe in. In phase one and in phase two, it, it, it's proven that it works. So it's safe and it works. So why aren't people getting the treatment yet? You know, it's, it's, um, people with ALS, there's every 90 seconds someone's dying from ALS. Every 90 seconds someone is diagnosed with ALS. There's over 30,000 Americans right now living with it, dying from ALS. And, one in six, one in six people with ALS are a veteran. Um, if you're a, if you're a first responder or an athlete, you're two times likely to get ALS than your normal person. Now, do they think there's a connection with TBI and ALS? So they don't know exactly. Um, my doctor seems to think that um, my history of football concussions. Um, definitely has something to do with it, but there's no, no one could tell you and pinpoint exactly, um, what caused ALS. So they think it could be from, you know, head trauma, stress, um, environmental exposure, some sort of toxin. Um, but they can't pinpoint what exactly is causing, causing the the disease. Um, so that's kind of what we learned at our second visit was that holy, you know, holy moly, there's, there's treatment. You can say shit on your Yeah, yeah. holy shit. <laughs> there there's, there's treatment out there and we, there's a, there's chance to save thousands, tens and thousands of people, but, and it's safe and it works, but no one's getting it because they have to collect data for two years. Mm-hmm. When the FDA has approved many meds that we know were very unsafe that they gave to not terminally ill people exactly so so the more research we've done we we found that treatment for ALS is in the same line as treatment for a headache or arthritis or erectile dysfunction it's in the same process so they treat ALS the same way and it's the same pro- is and it takes the same amount of time to approve that drug. There has to be something different that that system is failing terminally ill people, um, specifically you know right now with ALS. It's like uh, the FDA has the ability to to fast track or approve some uh, medic- medicine if it's safe and it works, and you know they feel that. 
it's it's gonna you know help a lot of people but for some reason ALS is like been forgotten it's like the and we're just like left in the dust here so and 30,000 people that's not this you know crazy out of left field diagnosis where you know you hear these like five people on planet earth have this thing but 30,000 I mean if 30,000 children were killed in schools the impact that would have you know you know, 30,000 victims of a terrorist attack or and it's you know when you put it in that perspective I and mean, look at the obesity crisis here we, we focus so much on schools and we should but we're losing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of americans through all those things which are also you know those are preventable like it's not als or pediatric cancer where you're, you're trying to figure out well, where the hell did it come from yeah. obesity you know all these you just change the way you eat and you move yeah. it's that simple so that's what's frustrating to me here in your story yeah. is all these meds get approved that shouldn't even be needed if we were teaching people how to eat and move and yet pediatric cancer which is a fraction of the overall cancer budget where again i think most adult cancers are again environmental and things we put in our body um the the pediatric one where these little babies have no way of eating mcdonald's and starting to screw themselves up they get a fraction of the research and it's the same with als yeah it's it's incredible and and it als has become more prevalent and people are becoming young getting it younger and younger uh, actually just a few weeks ago a 15 year old was just diagnosed with als um and the average is what like 40 and 50 is that right they say between 40 to 70 70 okay. yeah is is when you know that's the average age um but every once in a while you know yeah 15 9 um 16 29 20s um it's just it's not as common but so that's kind of you know what we we've really been focusing on right now is spreading awareness and trying to you know show the world that hey this is what's going on this is real life people are dying every single day and there's a treat there's treatment there that could potentially help and save thousands and thousands of lives but no we don't have access so like something's got has to change you know this is it's really it's inhumane you know um especially the way they treat the the um, clinical trial you know there has to be a way to be able to do trials where more people are getting the treatment, right? I mean, doing a 50% double-blind placebo on a terminally ill patient, that is insane. It's crazy. Yeah, or like you said, if, if you're doing this research, you're realizing that this one is working, then maybe, you know, people that are progressing deeper in, give them a damn treatment, and then maybe some of the newer diagnosis ethically maybe you could say well we'll we'll do it on here but yeah you had to have that knowledge and that that possible way of saving lives and just to withhold it especially you know a year of treatment i mean that just doesn't make any sense to me at all especially with a year doesn't sound that much to someone who maybe has a life expectancy of 80 90 years a year to someone who maybe has a life expectancy of three years that's horrendous yeah and so 
another thing that you know that blows my mind is the patients that received the treatment and they got better from it um as soon as the trial's over they don't they don't get the treatment anymore so we we became real close to um an uh, uh, ALS ALS patient his name is Mark and he he was in um the beginning of the phase three trial, received the treatment, got got a lot better, was able to talk a lot better, um, was able to walk much better. So you're talking reversal, not even sl- not slowing even, of the decline. Not even just slowing that a little bit, straight, 100 straight reversal. And as soon as they finish, as soon as he was done, they cut him off from the treatment. And now he's, eight, he's nine months um, from his last treatment, and he's progressing again. So here's a guy who literally had a reversal, and now he's feeling himself go right back to where he was. It's uh, it's just so crazy. I mean, I don't know how you you were allowed to use those people for a year. Yeah. So how are you not allowed to put in the clause, even if everyone else is screwed? That fifty percent who actually got it, who are improving. How are you not allowed to say, well, those people can still do it? Right. But I don't know. How, how can you sign the piece of paper that says, yes, I agree to, yeah. to pull that out? So yeah. you have no choice. You have to sign the paper because when you receive, when you, when you receive the diagnosis that you have ALS, it is a, right now you have a zero, 0% chance of survival, 100% fatality. So your best shot is getting this 50% chance of treatment. So your only choice is to sign that paper. No, I'm talking about the the medical community to sign the paper saying, let's stop that. Oh, no, of course. I mean, everyone's going to sign it to come (laughs) in. (laughs) But I'm talking as as a person, whether it's higher above the the research community, whatever it is, or a group of people that have said, we consent to, even if this is working, to withdraw it. And ethically, I don't know how you could even sleep at night. No, I know it. So it completely. Um, I mean, it totally blew my mind, um, Amanda too, and my family. And and it seems like everyone we tell this to, it's like their jaws on the floor. Also, I mean, we didn't know any of this was happening until you're literally thrown right into it, and. So that's like what we've been fighting for. That's our mission. Our goal is to educate people on what's really happening here. It's like, yeah, this is a really sad story and we just got married and, you know, my husband has ALS, but also there's something there that could help him and, and this is what's going on and he can't get it. And, um, so yeah, I I would say that's like our true story is no, you know, we we can save him and 30,000 Americans as well. And that's kind of what we've been fighting for and what we've put all our energy into because with a diagnosis like this, it, it's hard day by day to, I mean, you never forget about it, but it's hard to move on with your normal life. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're channeling all of our energy. I think it's a really good idea. So, so a few years ago, I myself put myself in a bathtub full of ice, filmed a funny video, challenged three other people, and that was it. Um, I'd done 22 push-ups because we lose a veteran every day to suicide. 
and that was it. You know what I mean? And then I've talked about this now. Those things, the fact that the beginning a conversation, well, that's great, but they're also missing the fucking point. Excuse my language. They're completely missing the point because you don't, we're not trying to get a bunch of videos of people jumping at ice. We're trying to get people to, you know, and again, not, not trying to get people just to throw money mindlessly at a GoFundMe either. You're trying to get people to understand, and I do it with this project with all the elements of health that we have on it, to get so angry that they do something. And, you know, I hope this helps with you, but I've learned something sitting here. I didn't know there was a drug that, that you know, that is going to work. And so, of course, there's a fundraising element to it as well, but I think there's more power in a whole bunch of angry people saying, you need to change this. Absolutely you know to their politicians or whoever it, it you know it takes and i think it's the same with the fire service and other areas too but um yeah we need to stop trivial physical challenges and start going i need to look into this you know and i think that what you do you're doing is what needs to be done you know it's with you know the, the aids epidemic and all these other diseases it took usually a brave man or woman to kind of be that beacon be like this is what it's like. This is what we need to fix. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's you brought the, the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Um, it's, we're in a very similar situation um, where first time ever there's treatment that's helping people. Um, and we, we're, we just have to get access to it and we need to raise awareness and and there has to be some sort of change, you know. Um, and like a man was saying, that's what that's what we're doing all this for, you know, is for that for that reason. And the fundraising, like you said, aspect is is important too. But the what's most important is getting the awareness out there, telling the true story, and letting people know that hey, this is really going on. This is this is real life, you know. Um, and this treatment, this, this one specifically, neuron, um, is just the closest to being approved. So that's one we're really, we're really, really fighting for. But there's over a dozen behind it. That and might be even better. That might be better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But as long as they're s- stuck in these crazy, long, drawn-out trials and phases... Over hundreds and thousands of people are going to die from ALS unless we change this pathway to gain access to these treatments. People are going to be dying, and that's the harsh, re- harsh reality of it. It is. Well, so going back to the fundraiser, though. So my big thing with fundraising in general is we do hear of these organizations. You know, so much of it goes to what they call administrative costs. And we see, you know, these people going on vacation and all this stuff with tech, with the, the money with you specifically though, there's obviously, you know, God forbid there's a decline. There is definitely equipment that's needed. So, you know, tell me specifically what a patient in general with ALS would need as they go through that timeline. Yeah. So, um, right when I got diagnosed, the first thing that came to my mind was, I don't want my wife to suffer. I don't want my family to be in debt um, because of me, you know. And ALS is extremely expensive. It is a 
as you as you decline, you need uh, a ventilator to help you breathe, a trach tube to feed you, um, full time twenty four hour round care, and in that it's estimated that it's around three hundred thousand a year uh, to 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 take care of an ALS patient, um, and and. Uh, a lot of ALS patients put their family in debt, far in debt, and and a lot of a lot of people choose not to live because of that. Um, so the fir- one of the first thing I, I said to Amanda, and my dad, my brothers, I said, "You guys aren't going to suffer because because of me." Um, so let let's do everything we can to raise money and. And, and for treatment and and also awareness, you know. So um, once you know, once we have a, a you know safe amount of money put away, then we we can start focusing on putting our money that we raise to a foundation or a research um, uh, uh, organization who who. Who's doing the right thing? You know, who's looking for a treatment? Who's who who has the, has the right program? You know, we're so a lot of what we're doing right now is, you know, we, we meet with a lot of different people and and we and we and we're sort of trying to sort it out and figure out who who's doing the right thing. You know, who's using the money the best? Who's putting it towards treatment and finding a treatment? That's going to help ALS patients now, you know, not 12 years down the road. We want people, you know, we want to find someone who has that sense of urgency that, that I do, Yeah, you know, um, that you need to have this particular disease. So finding people that get that sense of urgency is difficult. And unless you have ALS or a family member has been affected by it, they don't know, you know, they just, they, they don't, they don't think about that. They don't have that urgent, let's, let's help people now. Um, there are a few out there that do, and that's who we plan on partnering up with and, and helping and, you know, you know, getting things pushed forward faster. But, uh, yeah, that's sort of the, the fundraising aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's you know, again with with what you're talking about. There's a direct every single penny of that dollar is going to go and contribute to you know what is ultimately needed. Um, and as a slide, you know, tangent, you know, you've got the like you said the the average age diagnosis. I think one of the most famous cases is Stephen Hawking, who if, if my memory serves me right from the movie, is like twenties when he got it. But his life expectancy was incredible. Do you know, you know, what the difference was? Was it just luck? Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he just had a uh, a slow progressing uh, form of ALS, and I mean, yeah, he he lived till he was seventy, I think, right? Or yeah, 80s. around there. Yeah. Um, but those weren't good years, you know. I mean, yeah. that's very difficult. Um, that's a hard way, way to live, you know. Um, but he did make it that far, and that's, 
he's a he's extremely rare case and probably you know one of the only people ever to to live that long mm-hmm. with ALS and it seems like that individual being so cerebral anyway as devastating it must have been to lose his physicality had so much going on here he yeah. was probably able to deal with it right whereas most people when we lose this i'm sure exactly like right i mean that i mean Stephen Hawkins, that, that guy's amazing um and like you said he's so so smart you know like for me it's like <clears throat> my whole life i depend on my my body you know my strength and and hands everything i've done i've done with my hands and my arms and my legs you know um not to say that i'm not not smart but i'm definitely more of a you know physical kind of person you and me both trust yeah me. i wouldn't want to be left with my thoughts yeah like, why can't chickens fly yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah i mean so that was crazy to me when i heard about all of this it's like your whole body shuts down but your mind and your brain still work perfectly yeah like you're, you're mean, just trapped it's cruel what it is it's, you know? it's so it's extremely evil disease i mean it that it is like i mean it's 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 a nightmare 100 percent. yeah now I, I, we want to move on to positive things that are working and going to beat it but i just had a conversation with a palliative care physician i've had on twice now and one of the areas that and we're all terrified of talking about but i think has value is choosing the day that you die if it comes to that point and als was one area that he discussed was actually you know acceptable applicable thing um Obviously not you. We're sitting here having a conversation. Things are great today. And all today is all we have. But have you seen in that community that, um, you know, some people do choose to do it before there's that complete diminishment of their, their physicality? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I try to stay on that literature. I try not to go down that road. But you can't help but think about that. You know, um, that's just the reality. Um um, I have heard of instances where people choose, you know, not to live and, um, um, leave, leave this life early, you know, but as of right now and the way I feel, um, I still have tomorrow. I still have the next day and not everyone could say that, you know, I think choosing life and living this life the best that we can is is worth fighting for, you know. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're fighting for this life, and and also over thirty thousand Americans who who also are do, going through the same thing. I mean, this is a lot bigger than me. This is about everyone, you know. And um, I'm fortunate enough to sort of have this platform because of my history in sports and the fire department, which has been amazing. The brotherhood and sister around the world has been rallying and it's given us this, you know, this incredible platform and, and, um, 
I feel very grateful and just so fortunate to have it. And, and I want to do everything I can to help, you know, the mass, the mass of people that have this, this disease and they're going through this because they don't have to. There's a treatment there that's working. You know, this could be stopped. We just need to, we need to fight for it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have, I mean, it's amazing seeing the the movement, you know, the Axe ALS movement. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's really you are, cool. You know, talking to Ellen and all these different people. Yeah. And <laughs> so like you said, you there's many people, sadly, that get given a platform, they do nothing with it or, or bad things with it. You know, and this like, you know, today things are good and, and you have this opportunity to really advocate for the people who don't have a voice. And I think if you get enough people angry, you know, and there's so many things that we need to step up and do, you know, I, we've let douchebags in suits run our country and our healthcare, and it's, you know, it's not working. So we need to get our people angry enough to shake the tree and be like, nah, this is unacceptable, you know, and, and I hope that the right people saw Ellen, saw the news reports, listened to this, whoever that are able to influence and, and maybe, you know, push that through. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're open to. <laughs> right. Well, going to yeah. what you can control today. Mm. Um, you know, we discussed before we started talking about some things that you realized in that you could improve in your lifestyle. So what are some of those that you've done as far as nutrition and supplements? Yeah. So a lot of lot of the research we we've, we've been doing was, you know, ALS is a um a inflammatory disease, right? So <laughs> Found a rubber band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's inflammation going in in your in your brain, and it's uh, triggering you know this neurodegenerative disease. Um, so anything that you can do to decrease inflammation is is going to help with symptoms, help with progression. So um, it all comes full circle to diet. What you put in your what you put in your body and and um, what you're eating and what kind of vitamins, uh, proteins, amino acids, supplements that, that can help with that. And so wh- um, what my wife and I, Amanda, are doing is, uh, is a diet called um, the Terry Walls Protocol. So very high in vegetables. Um, you can still have meat. But it's grass-fed, organic meat, or um, organs, um, which are really high in vitamins too, like the liver. Mm-hmm. High in iron. Yeah. Yep. So um, that's kind of what we've been focusing on right now, just, um, you know, our diet and and uh, um, trying to eat, eat better and decrease that inflammation. Uh, we have a sauna in the room next door so trying to um you know just detox and sweat out the toxins and just getting uh the good stuff in the bad stuff out yeah have you done any of the like the the ice bath cold showers anything ironically ice bath with the als and yeah but i mean i wonder if that cold contrast would be good for inflammation too yeah so i mean when i was playing football i lived in the cold bath and hot job that was like what got me through and so it's funny it's like when, as soon as i got this diagnosis i was like i just craved ice bath i just wanted to go to the ice bath so bad 
So, yeah, I've been doing an ice bath and the sauna too. And um, I think it helps, you know. It's it's hard to tell. I definitely feel like I'm progressing still, but who I don't know if I'd be progressing faster if I wasn't. So that's the unique thing about ALS. It's really hard to pinpoint what's working or what's not or what's, you know, maybe causing you to progress faster. So it makes me feel a lot better. That's for sure. Um, is it slowing the progression down? I'm not sure. Yet. I think it's just a little early to, to tell, you know, I think I'm four months into this. So, um, I do feel better while I'm doing it. And, and so that's mentally, I feel good. And, you know, it's hard to tell as far as physically yet. So I think time will tell. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now what about, uh, you, you take CBD and CBG you just learned about today. Yeah. So I, uh, take CBD before I go to bed, kind of just helps me relax. It helps me to sleep. And then CBG is very similar to CBD. Um, it doesn't have that, um, that, uh, psychoactive no, THC. THC does. It's just, um, and it's been helping. It, it definitely helps. We have like a CBD rub too that I put on my arms that helps with the uh, twitching and fasciculation. Um, but I have read a lot of good stuff about THC with ALS too. But as you know, like as a firefighter, it's we get drug tested. And, um, so I've kind of stayed away from that. And then, you know, growing up, it's like um, my dad kind of always taught us, you know, stay away from marijuana. You can drink beers, but. Devil's lettuce. Yeah, don't smoke. <laughs> don't smoke pot, you know. So I like this this engra- engraved in my head like you know marijuana's bad <laughs> stay away from it but um if it's the more research we, we've been doing it seems like you know people are having a lot of success with it so mm-hmm. and that's what we were talking about before we started recording it's it's sad that our hands are bound you know and you and i both know you could be prescribed opiates and you come drink when you get home every night no one's going to bat an eyelid, but God forbid you take THC, yeah. you know, then the world loses its mind. And yeah. I hope you personally are able to get a point with, with your employer that they're able to make an exception. I mean, you're not running calls at the moment anyway, you know, but um, what if it works well? Yeah. That you're doing everything else right, whether, you know, you have no gauge of it slowing down, but you know damn well you're not accelerating it. Yeah. You know, you're eating clean and taking the supplements. But I mean... I've heard some incredible things about THC as well. And, you know, what have you got to lose? Apart from someone telling you because of some racist, you know, dude in the 1930s that demonized marijuana that you can't try what might be another, you know, incredible benefit to slow down ALS. So I hope that's resolved too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. Well, I'm going to trans... Go to some closing questions because I've yeah. been going well over an hour now. I don't <laughs> want to exhaust you. No, um, that's that's doesn't so, seem like that long. It seems like it's going by pretty fast. Yeah, it usually does. Yeah, like, someone's a look. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> um, 
But uh, so the first one I love to ask, and we'll ask, you know, for both of you guys, um, is there a book that you love to recommend? It could be what we discussed or something completely different. Um, I would say that the Terry Walls Protocol, I mean, that's, I don't know for sure. I mean, I, I think it's too early to really tell, but um, everything she says in there just makes perfect sense. Um, just as far as getting back to the basics, you know, eating clean, eating vegetables, eating, you know, grass-fed organic meat and, and staying away from, you know, processed foods and, and sugars and things that are essentially, you know, man-made. Um, it just, it just, there's no arguing it, you know, she just hits these points and, and it makes sense. Yeah, it, it just yeah. makes perfect sense. And, you know, I think before this, it wasn't that I wasn't, I was, oh, I wasn't eating clean. I've always had like, you know, um, we ate pretty good because, yeah. you know, we were athletes and we kind of learned how to eat through, you know, college and high school and stuff. But uh, the focus is definitely more on cleaner, cleaner foods for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amanda, give me the background of who she is and how she discovered that. Yeah, so Terry Walls is a woman who had MS. She or she still has MS, um, but she had progressed a lot. She was wheelchair bound, um, and so she decided to try to change her MS with her diet. Um, so she um started even eating it's kind of like paleo um it's really focusing on vegetables and like eric said those grass-fed organic meats and um she so she started changing her diet and noticed a huge improvement in her you know mobility everything so um she's out of her wheelchair now she's doing really well and um she recommends this diet for a lot of people with MS. Now we don't know how it affects people with ALS. Um, but we like Eric said, it, it makes sense. It's, it's so important what you're putting into your body. Um, so we're, we're giving it a try and we're, it's like he talked about, it keeps the inflammation down. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I feel better. I'm not like as bloated or, um, I don't ever feel like I'm so full. Like sometimes, you know, after you eat a huge meal, it's, yeah, you feel disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't had that feeling in a really long time. So I don't know. And, and maybe it's just a little bit mental for us too. It's just, you know, knowing that you're putting really good things into your body to help you. Um, so yeah, that's something we've been trying. We've been doing it for a few weeks now and, um, it's hard though. It, it does take a lot of planning and a lot of work, but that's, it's kind of like, you know, our job to eat healthy now to help him. So, yeah. And again, as, as far as getting people angry, um, I just interviewed the guy that made the, uh, the game changers movie and, and there's, there's, there's some to and fro between the two sides. But again, the middle ground is voting with a dollar. If all food was organic again. You know, and all animals were not locked in some factory and slaughtered, right? You know, they keep kept alive by antibiotics until they could slaughter their dirty meat because they're so sick. You know, if we had all those, the, the same 
type of foods and farms that our great grandparents had, then it would be cheap and it wouldn't be hard for you. Right. Every store would have it, you know. But that's the problem at the moment is people have to look. We're lucky in Florida because we're surrounded by lush farmland. So it's a lot easier, I think, mm -hmm. than, you know, obviously California's desert, really. Right. Um, but th there's no reason why if we did it for thousands and thousands of years, why everyone thinks it's insanity that we can't go back to that. Well, you don't even have to say, is that organic? Right. That, you know, we talked before we were, uh, recording as well, like, and I've talked about this a lot the fact that they're wearing hazmat suits spraying our food and then we have all these people getting these weird and wonderful diseases. I mean, that in itself, there's no question. There has to be a correlation, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's a placebo. I think it just is common sense. You're asking your food to not be messed with. Simple as that. Right. It really is. Yeah. yeah another thing that we're doing, it. it's... um called the medical medium it's by anthony william um is eric starts his day with a 16 ounce glass of celery juice on an empty stomach and um in his book he just talks about how it really helps your body kind of clear those toxins and um just give your body a fresh start for the day and it, it is really important that it's fresh celery juice and right on an empty stomach when you wake up so we bought a juicer and we've been doing that, or he's been doing it. I tried it, but I, I just can't do the celery <laughs> juice by itself. But he does it every morning. So yeah, I, I actually really really like celery juice. I, um, so I don't mind it. I actually <laughs> look forward to it. <laughs> well, I started doing. Um, uh, I had Stan Efferding on the show, who's a, a bodybuilder, powerlifter. They call him the Rhino, but he's big on nutrition. Um, He's got the, the vertical diet. Have you ever seen that? Um, anyway, but he, one of the things he talked about, you know, there's this complete aversion to salt, you know, and, and you live in a place where it's very hot and you sweat a lot. I do as well. Um, and so his first thing in the morning is a big glass of water with lemon juice and a little bit of salt in it. And I started doing that and it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's initially it's not the, I mean, it's actually not bad, but, you know, it's a little salty, which is kind of weird. But you do. It's like if you've been processing all the toxins and everything in your body and then you give a big tall glass of water with that as the first thing you do, then you're hydrating and you're, you know, you're putting those um, minerals back in your body. Right. So, again, sense. Yeah. It just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So, all right. So, the same question, but a movie. Um, Eric, first, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, I like I like Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall. Yeah, he Brad is pretty hot. Yeah, so. he's <laughs> yeah gets me every time. No, he I it's a uh, I really like Montana. It's just the the setting of that movie is incredible. Yeah, um, and that's about you know it's about brothers and a little bit of love story, but. Uh, you know, one brother goes to war and the other three brothers go with him or the other two brothers go with him and kind of protect him the whole time, you know, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's some, I've, that movie's just been, uh, I watched it when I was like in eighth grade, <coughs> eighth grade and I think it's been my favorite movie ever since. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was a good film. Yeah. Absolutely. Was Anthony Hopkins in that too? Yeah, Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Uh, he was the dad, Brad Pitt. Wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Grumpy old bastard. Yeah, yeah. He has, <laughs> he's that grumpy old uh, colonel. But yeah, that whole the whole setting is just it's awesome. It's beautiful. So Yeah. Absolutely. So Amanda, same question. Oh gosh. I'm like <laughs> sitting here freaking out because I don't even know. It better be a good one. What? I don't know. What's my favorite movie? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, goodness. This is not your favorite. Just one that you would recommend to people. One that you've seen that you liked. Oh, man. I feel like we haven't seen a good movie in a long time. Or I we feel have... like they just don't make movies like they used to. It's... There hasn't... I'm, I don't know the last really good movie came up. I know. I'm try- I'm honestly, like, trying to think of a movie that... Um... Hmm. Wedding Crash movie. <laughs> Oh, gosh, I no. I can't spit my words out then. What about a documentary? Is there a documentary you remember seeing that you were struck by? Um, I'm trying to think. We, The only like documentary I think we've seen that we probably both watched was like Blackfish or something. The one with the SeaWorld one. orcas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, I'm not good at these questions. That's what? a great point again people arguing like from yeah. the sides in the middle ground is do you honestly think a killer whale is supposed to live in a swimming pool right it's a simple freaking question right of course it's not this is a mammal that you know goes if it's a mammal or fish i'm not sure but you know goes thousands of miles in the in the wild so yeah, yeah. i honestly don't we don't watch tv that much you watch a lot of documentaries yeah i'm trying to think it's like we haven't watched TV. I feel like in four months. <laughs> We've been so busy. Yeah, um, this... you've been on TV more than you watched it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean it's been. Uh, That's the only time we watch it. If it's like we never really were like we never watched a lot of TV to, to begin with, and now we we really haven't. I mean, you could see the size of our TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> That um, used to be a big TV yeah, not too that, long ago. Yeah. Now that's like, <laughs> you sit in the back of the plane seat and that thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We watch a lot of like Planet Earth before bed. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, a great show. Yeah. That, that's like our go-to. Oh, yeah. That's your answer. Yeah. yeah. I know. I wasn't prepared for these questions. No, no problem. They, they catch people out. So yeah. I'll, I'll give you a different one. Um, is there a person that you would love to recommend to come on this podcast to speak to first responders, military medical community human beings while you're thinking i'd love to get ellen on one day i think she'd be awesome she does so much for, yeah i was for gonna say service. her actually yeah, yeah get yeah, ellen on ellen here would be amazing she told us over and over how much she loved firefighters yeah yeah she's a huge huge supporter and yeah. i think like a few days before she had us on she had um I'm pretty sure it was the fire station that saved her house during it the fire. It was like 10 firemen. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing yeah. that as well. And, and when we were first um, talking to the producers to go on to the show, they just kept saying, you know, Ellen loves firemen. You know, she loves firefighters. And yeah, so she definitely made that very clear. She would be very cool to have on yeah. here. <laughs> she never know. I mean, if she does, this is, this is the way awesome. to talk to them. Yeah. But I actually saw her show. I used to live in Burbank and I went oh, okay. to the live show one time. Oh, so, nice. Not as a guest, just as watching. <laughs> but All right, well, we'll move on. Um, the last thing before we really go into where people can reach you and how they can, you know, help. Um, what do you do to decompress? To USA? 
Um, well, so it used to be working out, running, surfing, uh, mountain biking. Um, I spent a lot of fishing. Spent a lot of time, to, a lot of time in the outdoors. But um, those those things that um, all those things I named uh, have become a lot a lot more difficult for me. So. And they also say if you, you know, working out and, um, too hard or too much could um, increase the progression. So I've had to kind of step back and take it easy. But and that could even be the inflammation side again, huh? Exactly. Yeah. So the sauna, we got a sauna donated to us. So that's that's been huge. Just um, being able to go in there and break a sweat like. I used to, um, has been, has been great, but I, st- I still like going outside, take, take our dog to the beach and, and walk on the beach and, and, uh, looking at the surf and stuff. But I, I my brother and I will paddle out, but I can't really stand up anymore. So, mm. um, and that's gotta be a little daunting being in the water, yeah. not having the, ability that you had before for sure that's been that's been one of the most difficult things is that you know I've, i was so active um before and um not being able to do that is 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 hard mentally too and i'm also you know i'm kind of nervous to to try things because i don't want to fail you know and then it's a reminder that i have this and you know this is kind of the the way i'm declining you know mm-hmm. so i see yeah so i just try to take it easy um i like when we have time you know re- reading or um going to the sauna walking walking the dog that's kind of what uh, what i've been doing recently have you tried yoga yeah, yeah. yoga. Uh, we do yoga every once in a while. Probably not as much as we should. I mean, I, re- I really like yoga, um, especially like core power where you're in that flow kind mm-hmm. of yoga. Um, but we just don't do it enough. I think we should do it more for yeah. sure. Because, again, the, the, the meditation element to it as yeah. well and the positive affirmations and all Definitely. that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge believer in yoga for sure. I we we I used to do it when I I played football and uh, I mean it just helps having clarity flexibility injury prevention. Um, it's and you you break a sweat you feel good it's just everything about it is positive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Amanda, same for you. Decompress. Oh man. Um. I like to read a lot, um, so I'll do a lot of reading. Taking our dog for long walks, so there's like a back bay by our house, um, so I like to take him on long walks through there and usually listen to music or podcast or um, kind of just let my mind escape from all this or try to. Um I've only been in the sauna once. I don't know. It's hard for me to 
sit there for that long. Um, so I don't do that that much. At least you have to put up with like 50-year-old obese men <laughs> yes. like taking the towel off their junk and just sitting there like some of the gyms I've been yeah, to. <laughs> Seriously. She, I mean, um, she still teaches soccer, so she does soccer lessons, I feel like, and, and you work out. You know, she does orange orange theory. You ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah. So we go in different zones. Yeah. So we were actually doing that quite a bit um, together um, before this all happened. But so yeah, but it's still I haven't done it in a while because it just like mentally I can't Mm -hmm. get into it. I don't know. It's too hard for me right now. But um, yeah, I would just say a lot of reading and. Um, I don't know. This keeps us pretty busy. Just, um, I don't know. I've been, I guess I've been doing a lot of cooking, trying to try different meals for us to eat. Um, so that's been fun. Um, yeah, that's, that's, we, we go to the beach a lot. We like to, um, take our dog to the dog beach down in Newport and, um, just kind of run around with him there. Um, Honestly, he helps a lot to our dog with just like, I don't know. I feel like he's, we decompress with him. He's just like so happy to be around. So, yeah, the dog beach you're talking about is that the one right by the bridge? Yeah, that's right where my, my friend I was visiting their house oh, okay. is like half a block back, right by there. So, yeah. you've probably yeah. even seen their dog. Probably, yeah. We go there a lot. Yeah, our dog loves it. He loves the water and, He'll like go in the water and then run out and roll in the sand, and it's like a whole day. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's like a whole day process because he's so dirty after, but he loves it. And yeah, we we love going to the beach. So Mm -hmm. very healing place. Yeah. All right. So then let's talk about first. So so um, what can people do to try and put pressure on speeding this process up? Have you found any avenues? people to write to organizations to support anything like that so what we've been doing um we 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 just got back from dc so we talked to over a dozen congressmen senators um spoke to a few people in the hss um fda and um basically told them our story and and told them what's going on and and this is this is what's happening you know and i don't know if you guys are aware of it but you know this is this is happening to me and it's also happening to over thirty thousand american um and every everyone we talked to we, their jaws dropped and they couldn't believe it so um we got a lot of people on board and we're just we're gonna, we're, we're going to continue to do that and i think the more people that we raise this awareness to and the more people that talk to their local congressman or senator or or um write letters to the fda or to to um you know people that could really make a change is, is going to help uh, significantly. Um, yeah, I think um, one thing we learned in Washington, D.C. when we went is 
they just formed, I think, on the House side. So the congressman and ALS caucus were. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, so that's kind of big. And our big push, any congressman that we talk to, we just ask them, will you please join the ALS caucus and kind of help us in this fight? And so I think if people wanted to help, it would be to reach out to their local congressmen or senators. Um, I'm pretty sure they started one on the Senate side also. Annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're, we're just asking them to join the ALS caucus and kind of be behind us in this fight or, or lead the fight. I mean, they have more power than we do, obviously. So, and I think it's, it's working, you know, um, just, just the other day, uh, Senator Braun asked the commissioner of the FDA, the new commissioner, uh, about ALS and how he plans to um, attack this, you know, terminal diagnosis with no no treatment options and limited um, available availability to ALS patients. Um, so, and that was huge. That was the first time anyone's ever done that. Um, so it's working. You know what. What we're doing and what other ALS advocates are doing in D.C. is helping out. And the more and more people that get on board and and uh, help with this cause, the, the greater effect we're going to have. And so I think people always ask, you know, what is it that we can do to help? Well, just spread the word, spread this story and 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 share to as many people as you can and and um join us you know join us in this this fight this it's a it's really a fight for hope you know and um more people we have with us the bigger impact we're gonna we're gonna have yeah and they can literally share this story that there's gonna be a link you just put it on your facebook page or email chain or whatever um and i think that's what I love about the the podcast thing is you can't listen to you guys talk and then walk away and be like, nah, you know, we're invested now, you know, and for everyone listening, you know, I, I make sure this is a completely free resource for everyone. So, you know, in return for this one, I hope that people will just take a moment and do that share. And if they do know any people in the political world, reach out to them, but also just get everyone around you fired yeah, up and educated. Exactly. And, and people are, it, it, it's, um, it's been amazing the support and the feedback that we're getting back and people are so willing to help out and, and people are fired up because it's, there's, there's something wrong with what's going on. And, you know, I'm no politician, but I do know right from wrong and this is, is freaking wrong and something's got to change. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So on the other side, the GoFundMe, where can people find that? Yeah, they can find the GoFundMe on our website. It's um, stevensnation.com. And it's there's a link on there that says, you know, donate now. So that's where they can find the GoFundMe. I'm amazed you're able to get that website. Having got one myself and knowing how they're all bought by GoDaddy and all these other <laughs> turds. Yeah there that's good i'm glad you got that <laughs> yeah we've had a lot of help with everything 
Man, yeah, we could not have done this without the people who helped us with the website and and everything. So it's brilliant. But then again, you know, that's the other side of the coin. I think so many people want to help. I think people, I truly believe people are inherently good. There's some pieces of shit out there. We all know them, but, um, and they just need to know how they need to be led, you know, so everyone listening, you know, if you're looking to do something good in the world today, then go to the website and donate and share the word, you know, and, and acts ALS as they say. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Right. Well, I want to thank you so much. It's been uh, an hour and a half conversation. Um, I'm honored that you were allowed me this complete stranger, weirdo Englishman <laughs> in your, uh, in your home. But, uh, I truly hope that this, this makes a difference. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming. And we really appreciate you helping us to spread this, spread the word. Cause, that's ultimately what's gonna, you know, lead to change. So we we really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you.